Greetings and welcome to On Frame, conversations about art. You're listening to CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming around the world on cfcr.ca. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook on Frame Radio. I am Alejandro, your host for tonight. Our guest for this evening is Carol Wiley, a Saskatoon figurative painter. Carol has engaged in art practice for 25 years. She resides in Saskatoon, where she divides her time between her studio, teaching drawing and painting, as an arts educator at the Rime Modern. Welcome, Carol, to Unframe Radio. Thank you, Alejandro. Nice to be here. What can you tell us about you, Carol? Well, I am first and foremost an artist. I think I approach my life as an artist in all aspects of it. A good portion of my time is engaged with either uh, teaching the arts to students who um, are finding their way to an art practice, or engaging in my own art practice, or doing programming for Remy Modern, which also involves taking arts out into the community. So I would, first of all and foremost, define myself as an artist. I am sure our audience is also intrigued to know about your work. How would you describe your practice? Well, my practice is completely and totally engaged with, for, with portrait and figurative work. I find the human body and the human face endlessly fascinating. I have never in my practice ever had any other subject matter besides that. And uh, I'm equally excited every time I start a new project, a new person, a new portrait, a new face, whatever. It's always really exciting and fascinating to me. So um, my practice is both drawing and painting, uh, but always with the figure at the center of it. Why work in figurative and painting in times that contemporary practice endorse abstractions and other media? Well, that's a question I spent a lot of time in grad school asking myself. For me, the answer is I feel that our life is involved of engagement with other people. Our interactions are a huge part of, of what our existence is and what our life consists of. We communicate through our bodies. So to me, our faces, our bodies are central to life in general. Now, as far as painting goes, it's probably a bigger question. And you probably know that every few years they say painting is dead. But I totally disagree with that. There's something about the temporal quality of taking a long time to create a piece, particularly when you talk about portrait work. Because with the, the kind of technology we have today, you can easily point and shoot and get a really lovely portrait of a person. But when I engage with them, first of all, in the sketching process, talking to them, getting to know them, I feel like any kind of mask that the person is holding up to the world that you can't sustain that for any length of time. So if they've been sitting there with me staring at them for an hour and a half talking to them, I think that what, I, what they are showing me with their face at that point in time is who they are. I think who we are lives on our face once that mask drops. When I do start to, to do the painting, the time frame of having to engage back and forth with the image and the muscle movement myself as I engage with the, the paint and the canvas and or whatever the... the the ground is that I'm working on, that time spent is, is time thought and time movement. And it's my body movement being, being recorded on the canvas as well as the image of the person. And that engagement both with the model and with the actual painting process is something that, that cannot happen in the split second of a clicking of a button on a camera or a phone. And how, how do you, would you call your work contemporary in those regards? Well, I'm a contemporary artist because I work in contemporary times, fully accepting of a lot of different contemporary practices, and I completely understand why people would engage in other things. But the, the actual um, mucking around with the paint and the physical feeling of uh, a drawing medium as I drag it across 
a surface. Those sort of sense, sensing things, um, sensual things, are really important to me as part of my practice. So that um, it's the final product is only a small portion of what I get out of the making of the work. It's the making that is so fulfilling for me. Did you find that the term contemporary it might be a very charged term? Absolutely. I mean, the term modern is a very charged term. And consequently, postmodern and contemporary, they're all very charged terms because what they tend to do is create uh, a climate in which there's only a certain type of art that's acceptable. Um, whereas really, when it comes down to people's practices, they're as, as varied as people are. And uh, I think really, we express ourselves the way we express ourselves. And I think of art making as a, a very compulsive act. It's not a choice. For those of us who engage with the arts, as you would know yourself, there's not a lot of payback for it. There's not a lot of payback financially. There's not a lot of payback in terms of living your life without a lot of rejection. There's lots of rejection involved. And so really, the reason to keep doing it is because there's a compulsion there that needs to be met. And um, being an, an artist who works in sort of a very, um, uh, I guess you might call it an old-fashioned method of, of oil paint and canvas and, and working with representational work um, might sort of leave me outside of things for the most part, but I, I feel that you need to speak to truthfully who you are and what compels you as an artist. And uh, I don't think there'd be any truth in it if I tried to work in a different way because it was more acceptable in contemporary um, art circles. Have you tried other media? Um, not much. I mean, I do a lot of drawing, um, but really, as I said, it's the making and it's the actual working with my hands that I find really engaging, and I haven't found another medium that fulfills me in the same way or compels me in the same way. You talk about physicality and a relationship when you are drawing your subjects in terms of psychological connection, but also there's a physical connection with the material. When you just work with that material, what is that you what is that you feel? Is that sort of an orgasmic uh, experience? It might be. It might be kind of orgasmic, I guess. It's just it's a very fulfilling thing. I know if I've been in the studio and I've spent a day painting or drawing, I'm I'm utterly exhausted, which means I think I'm drawing on some very deep resources when I when I'm working with the medium. Um, but there's just something that that feels so natural. When I pick up a, a drawing tool or, or I pick up a paintbrush, it's just such a natural thing to be working with. And I think that speaks again to the compulsion of why I do it in the first place, which is I have to. There's just something in me that's compelled to speak in this particular way with this particular medium. And I, I find it extremely fulfilling. Who are your subjects? My subjects change over time. They're usually people that I'm either really interested in or who come to me because they're interested in what I do and want to be a subject of the painting. The last, um, the last one I did, the last uh, uh, body of work I'm working on, which is the Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's um, body of work, was um, my interest in how we are connected in our physicality with our psychology or our personality. And so I sent out a call just basically asking people if they thought they were oddballs and were okay with that. And if so, would they like to be part of a series of portraits of oddballs? And so I had some people come that I knew that said, yeah, I'm an oddball, I'll sit for you. But I had a lot of people come that I had never met before uh, that just came up and, and, and they were so happy to be able to say, yeah, I'm an oddball. I sort of live on the outside edges of existence in our contemporary society, but, I, but I'm comfortable with who I am. And they almost are proud of the fact that they're kind of not, not within those constraints of an ordinary person. And um, I found them all fascinating to paint. Because, as I said, I think who we are lives really out there on our face. 
It's, it's, it's obvious and it's evident on our face when our masks fall. So when I capture all the minute little nuances in the facial features, I'm capturing that person. Do you find that your subjects are also engaging with you in a matter that it's almost unconscious and telepathically? I think there's a lot of unconscious uh, things that happen when you're engaging with someone. When someone comes and sits in your studio, it's a very artificial kind of uh, experience because, uh, and we often end up in fairly intimate conversation quite quickly where they tell me a lot about their personal life and their families because I'm sitting a foot and a half away from them and I'm intently gazing at their face as they're talking. And it sort of creates this false intimacy as if we've been friends for years, even if I've just met them. That experience and that my experience of them, their experience of me, changes each of us to some extent. And I, I trust that the memory and the residue of that experience finds its way into the painting when I work. So you work with live models and also with photography? I do, I do. I like for the models to be able to see themselves in the work. And for that, I need to be able to refer to photography to get the accuracy I want. Only because I'm not Lucian Freud and can't afford to hire a model to sit for me seven days a week. <laughs> so, uh, But I always insist I like to have that time at the beginning where I am engaging with them. And I am ch I'm chatting with them, I'm sketching them, um, getting familiar with their facial features, getting familiar with who they are. And I have found many times after the fact that family members or, or people who know them well have seen the portraits and said, oh, you've really captured this personality or this, the essence of who this person is, even if I've just met them. And that's retroactively when I discovered how much of who we are lives on our face. You also have a bachelor's in arts in psychology. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, experience in, in school has been feeding your work and, and your psyche for all these years to just get to where you are now? Well, I think that, that I'm not sure consciously the things I learned, especially because I did that degree in the 70s and psychology is like anything else, it changes over time and their theories change over time. But I think that interest in human behavior and that interest in human interaction is part of what fuels my interest in the kind of work that I do. Would you consider yourself an oddball? Oh, definitely. I'm definitely an oddball. I feel like I'm one of these people that whenever I enter an, an art opening or a meeting or anything, I've just, I've got to just remind myself, okay, you can't, you can't do those things, Carol, because that's, that's not going to be acceptable. Or you can't say these things because that's not going to be acceptable. I grew up as a very, very shy person, very ridiculously shy. I think that, that when you feel that you're an oddball, you fear for the longest time expressing yourself in any way because you feel like it's going to be so outside of accepted parameters that you're going to you're going to alienate everybody which is part of why I think I was so interested in working on this oddball series because now that I'm older and hopefully wiser to me it's the oddballs that are really interesting people have you painted yourself naked I have painted myself naked actually live ah uh, yes yeah and drawing yeah, I did a whole year of uh, self-portrait in um, my fourth year drawing class when I did my BFA and part of that was was nude and actually when I started to address the issue of being an aging woman in our culture that's when I really started to, to look at that both sculpture actually and and drawing um, around my body and what's happening with my body. How do you select the subject, the story, the narratives, the choice of materials and techniques and your next exhibition? I don't feel that my work is narrative per se I truly am interested in, in the individual relationship. I, some of my grad work actually was around physiology and neuroscience in terms of how 
we physiologically change by interacting with other people and how we learn about our physical selves by observing other people's physical selves. So all of that sort of informs the work and all of that is what interests me and leads me into the work I do. So in terms of actually telling a narrative story, I think it's maybe part of a larger narrative around my interest in that, in physicality and in psychology, but I don't think each individual piece carries a narrative per se. The, there are two shows that are happening in Rosthern. The first one I'll talk about is something called Erase, and that was that came out of or, or grew out of my my aging, being an aging woman in our culture, and experiencing more and more this sense of invisibility um, wherever I am. The particular over fifty kind of woman who is often postmenopausal is not really a sexual being in a world where women are are basically judged by their sexuality. It's it's an interesting phenomenon, but it's a little annoying. I don't see myself in advertising. I don't see myself in popular culture or film, unless it's some kind of a stereotype of some sort. And so the idea of being erased from culture as a woman led to this process of applying a medium to either paper or, well, to paper in in all cases, actually, with either paint or graphite, and bringing the image into being through an erasure process. So I felt like it was taking the act of erasure and empowering women from doing that by making these very large images. Subjects are always gazing directly at the viewer in almost, I guess, a challenging way, allow to to not see them, asking to be seen, basically. Do you sometimes feel exhausted when you finish one of these pieces? Because it seems that there's, and I have seen your work and I have seen your working actually, it's very physical and you just put yourself, almost the world around you doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible to just see you working that way. It, it is um, exhausting. I mean, when I get done at the studio, I, I just plop down on the couch and put my feet up in front of the TV because I don't want to think anymore. I don't want to do anything. And I think you're right. It's because I, it's like I head into this other zone where I'm, I'm not really listening to what's going on around me. I'm not seeing what's going on around me. Yet. But as I said, the engagement with the materials is so fulfilling for me. And the idea and what's happening, engaging with the faces, all of that is just, it is really exhausting by the end of the day. For those who just synthesize us, you're listening to On Frame Conversations about Arts in Saskatoon. I am Alejandro, your host for tonight. Our guest for this evening is Carol Wiley. You have background in drama and theater. I noticed that you just make a lot of quotes from books, and there's a lot of references in your work and also in your writing of plays or writers. How do you marry these two passions that you have, and how can it be seen in, in your work? Well, I think they're really connected. I mean, when you're doing theater, you are working with an interaction with another artist. You are expressing yourself with through your body movement, in it, but in a less sort of less permanent way. It's very ephemeral because it, once it's happened, it's gone, and you you don't repeat it. You sort of engage with it over and over again through the same narrative night after night, but always uh, in a new way. It's always a new moment. But the idea of of engaging with a person one-on-one is is very similar to the kind of work I do in painting and it's just the time factor that's different because and also the fact that I'm with people at the beginning of the process but as I engage further into the process it becomes a solitary practice whereas in theater you're always working with the other person with the other artist but but the interaction is very similar. Erase is the name of your new exhibition. Yes. Is it all completed? Well it's that body of work is complete but it's a process I, I plan to return to because there's, I think there's still a lot to be mined there. You mentioned something about society being involved in the cult of youth and also how aging women become invisible. And, and what I find striking is that I some of, some of the images in your studio and I notice that 
they're really in your face and they have a lot of marks. Marks relate to the experiences of the people? Well, I think if they do, it's unconscious for me. I like that they're in your face. That's, that's purposeful because I want to counteract that sense of invisibility. I don't want people to be able to ignore these women. So some of them are like five feet high or six feet high and, um, and in very brilliant colors because I want people to have to engage with them and not to be, not in a voyeuristic way. They really, they're all gazing out at the viewers so you have to engage with them one-on-one. So that's really important to me. You share your studio with other female artists are yes. similar age and one of them that come to mind is Miranda Jones. And it's interesting because she works mostly sculpture. Have you approached her to do a portrait of her? Because you know, you cannot notice Miranda. Actually, Miranda is, we just have to find a time. She came up to me and when she heard about the, the Oddball series and she saw it developing and she said, I'll sit for you. And I, and I kind of secretly said, yes, because Miranda is a wonderful, would be a wonderful subject. And it's just a matter of us finding the time. I will definitely be painting. The second part of the exhibition is called Mona Lisa and the Mad Hatters. Is there any relationship between the title and the work? I was for the longest time calling it the oddball series and my dad just kept saying you cannot call it that that's just something you can't you can't work with so I thought well what am I going to call this and um, I can remember in my early days listening to a, a lovely album that had a song on it called Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters by Elton John I, when that uh, kind of popped into my head I thought well if you're thinking about oddballs and of course I'm painting both men and women in this series Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters both they're both kind of quirky just out of the ordinary kind of characters or enigmas or there's something mysterious about both of those characters. So I thought it was just the perfect title for this exhibition. And they're been ingrained in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. It's sort of dressing up your characters and why there's no landscapes in your, or, or backdrops or, you know, their work and you're familiar with their work with Iris Hauser mm-hmm. and her work. I, I don't know if you were mentors or mentees at one point or did you work together? Yes. And, and your work sort of relates a little bit but it also distant itself that you don't have any backdrop and, and the stories that uh, Iris paint is mostly narrative of a story that happened. Yes. Well, Iris mentored me through the Carfax program probably about 13 or 14 years ago now. It's getting to be quite a while. And her work is, is beautiful in the way it engages with narrative using figures. So Iris is creating a story and a narrative. And, I'm, and, I, and I don't want to speak for her, but this is what I get out of the work. And she's using figures as a way of telling those stories, as a means of telling those stories. To me, the people I paint are the stories. So I'm not creating a narrative. I am just engaging with that person and trying to capture who they are and their story will be told through through that capturing. When you have these exhibitions, are some of these subjects or the people that sit for you, do they come to the openings? What is their approach when the work is done? First, when they see it in the that finish, and then after, when they see themselves in a gallery. It's really interesting, actually. People come and they, they just kind of stare for a bit because these are quite large-scale portraits too. So, and some of them are just focused right in on the face, so they're quite large. And uh, some people that see that when they first see it, they're quite taken aback. But I have yet to have a negative response. They, some people actually will purchase the, the piece because they, they want to have it in their home with them. And others, they're not sure if they could live with seeing themselves like that every day. So it's a very interesting um, response. But people are generally pleased. And people generally feel that, that something has been captured of themselves in the work more than just the resemblance. 
Mona Lisa and the Mad Hatters uh, is opening pretty soon. Yes, it's opening October 27th, runs till November 30th at Rosthern Station Arts Centre. And I'm basically taking up both their gallery spaces. The Erase Show will be in the one gallery space, and I'm not sure which, which, how they refer to that particular space. And then the other gallery space will, will house the Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter work. How do the two works relate to each other? I'm not sure they relate to each other except with my engagement with portraiture and, and, uh, and how the face reveals the personality. The work of, uh, of Erase was really much more political. And I think the work of Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's is a little more personal. In the Erase work and the Mona Lisa and Mad Hatter's, the Kerr Wiley, the feminist, would include some male portraits in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I take oddballs of every sort. <laughs> oh, that's that's quite exciting. When I was doing the Erase um, show, it was very, very important, of course, to have only female subjects because the idea was around the invisibility of of women over a certain age, whereas men do not experience that same kind of invisibility as they age. I think eventually men lose power and agency when they get really elderly, but in terms of the sense of being invisible, especially at this time in our lives when we still have a lot to offer, we have a lot of wisdom that we've built up over the years, we've learned a lot and have so much that we could bring, and yet it's a time that people are not really paying much attention to us. What do you tell your students or any emerging artist who is really interested in pursuing a career as a portraiture figurative painter? Well, the first thing I tell them is don't expect you're going to make a living doing your work because it's not going to happen. Um, whereas some people who paint landscape find that they can sell quite regularly or abstract work. Portrait work is a pretty tough sell. And I had a woman actually, I had a couple of pieces in a show called The Hope Show at the Art Gallery Regina recently. The subjects were actually people who had been dealing with cancer and had asked me to paint. I thought it as sort of a way, I think, of, of recording their experience or, or seeing somebody else sympathize with it in a real way. And this woman had said she really normally disliked figurative work. And I said, why, why is that? She said, because it's usually very poorly done. But she said, I really like your work, but I would never purchase a piece because it would feel like I had somebody else living in my home with me. And I thought that was the, the best compliment she could have given Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Because that's what my work is all about, is about trying to capture a personality and a person on canvas. That's interesting. It's just like the spirit of the person, it's capturing the painting. And, and you use a lot of colors. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do when cadmium is no longer available? Well, I'll, I actually am not using much of cadmium anymore. Just so. because it's not going to be available, <laughs> no, you're winning of I've it? I've just, just moved, I don't know, I've just moved to, to quinacridone, and it seems to be a better color for me. So my palette is changing a little bit over the years. But uh, but the whole thing about these these people existing on the canvas, for me, it's truly, and as I said, it's a very recent discovery for me, it's truly about the fact that we openly carry who we are right on our faces. And if, if you look, you can see it. If you're looking carefully and you're engaging over time with someone's face, you'll find out who they are. Interesting. And can you talk a little bit about the upcoming events at the Rime Modern and your role as a, an arts educator at the New Gallery? Yeah, um, I work in public programs. And so, uh, of course, normally what we'd be doing would be delivering tours for schools um, this time of year at, at the gallery. But the gallery is not open. So what we've done is developed a whole series of workshops that we are taking out to the school that give uh, students the chance not just to engage with hands-on art making, but to engage with the idea of art interpretation and the kinds of experiences they would have had had they been coming to the gallery. And then we're also doing our regular kind of out, out community programming in, in places like Calder Center and RUH and uh, the health-related kinds of work that we're doing as well as community events. So we're quite busy with our programs. 
There's a big event happening, Remace hosting in the Roxy Theater. You want to talk a little bit about that project? Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about it. I'm not uh, sure. Um, I can't give you a lot of details about it, but it is running Friday night and Saturday, October 30th and 31st. It's done in partnership with Eflux magazine, and it's hosting a lot of uh, artists coming in and doing presentations, uh, talks, lectures, and some performances as well. It should be absolutely fascinating to watch. Where can they get tickets, or is it free for public? No, there are tickets available through our website, ramimodern.org, and probably at the door, I suspect, as well. It's going to be at the Roxy Theater. Great. So, Carol, I think this summarizes our conversations tonight. I'm very pleased to have you here in the program. I'm pretty sure the audience have been engaging in the conversation as well. If they want to contact you, how can they find you? Well, you can go to my website, www.carolwiley.ca, and you can email me through that site if you're interested at all in, in talking to me, or if you're an oddball and would like to come sit for me, by all means, we'll get that set up. And if somebody wants to purchase your work? Uh, the same thing. Just uh, contact me through my website. Great. Thank you very much for your time, and it's a pleasure to have you tonight on CFCR Radio. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to On Frame Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. If you really like the show, drop your comments on Facebook, Twitter, or share your photograph in Instagram.